What's up, friends? Welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers to explore and learn how to use Web3 to transform business models and create thriving communities. Enjoy this next episode. GM, GM, what's up, Web3 Academy? I am Jaybird. It is the weekly doer spotlight. As always, joined by my co-host, Kyle Reedhead. What's up, Kai? What's up, friends? I feel like I need a nickname like you do, Jaybird. Uh, I just don't have it yet. I'm experimenting with uh, with my my digital identity as well okay. as my in-person identity. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, ju- we just said we weren't going to talk about identity on this podcast. <laughs> uh, today, super, super stoked to have with us Brian Peters. Brian is the co-founder of Sobel, uh, which actually spun out of Consensus Mesh, which is their uh, incubation and investment arm. He was also an early Bankless DAO contributor, part of season zero there. Uh, He's a City DAO core team member and contributor, uh, Polygon DAO, Genesis Squad, DAO Punks NFT early holder and instigator of their grant program. Uh, Brian is just like, uh, wearer of many hats and an absolute enthusiast of decentralized work. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. GM, GM, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, yeah, I had a lot of fun, particularly last year. <laughs> <laughs> I got me a Dow Punk as well. I didn't realize you were a part of that. <laughs> I got the t-shirt at yeah. home. Yeah, I still got one I want to I should claim before uh, before the year's up. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was an, an excellent experiment. Sinjin and Bushi uh, did a, did an awesome job. Yeah, they did. All right. Well, let's uh, let's begin as we always do, Brian. We always like to start by uh, asking what your rabbit hole story is. How did you first fall down the rabbit hole? Uh, what's uh, take us back to the to the origins of. Uh, you you getting involved in web three and decentralized work yeah yeah so uh i mean i i was pretty disillusioned during 2008 in the financial crisis and you know uh i I, one of although i was an engineer in school um uh, one of my favorite uh courses was macroeconomics an econ 101 course um done by a really charismatic um, prof. And uh, I just, I became fascinated with it. And in 2008, I was quite disillusioned that I'd heard about um, Bitcoin at that point in time and Satoshi and the the white paper. And, uh, you know, I feel like that was one of those, you know, moments in time where I missed something. Um, and so that wasn't my rabbit hole moment, but <laughs> in many ways it possibly could have been or should have been. Um, but, uh, but what it was, was actually more around um, work. Um, so less about money, less about markets. Um, although that was something that I watched and was interested in um, and felt tension around. Uh, but it was actually work because, you know, um, that's a much more visceral experience. You know, what I spend my time doing um, during the day and how I earn, you know, uh, my living um, and provide and support my life and, and my, my family's lifestyle. And, and that, that experience, um, was something that I was always kind of chasing, like, how, how do I do this and meet those needs whilst actually having a good experience? Um, I'm a bit of a hedonist at heart. Um, and I think that work shouldn't be this, you know, thing I do so that I can go and, you know, use my money to, to purchase Mm -hmm. joy. I, I kind of want that, that joy there. And, um, and so I, uh, I started out, you know, in, in enterprise, you know, consulting, 
um, in the passenger rail industry. That was very definitely not it. Um, <laughs> I then started to to chase it in the the Silicon Valley, you know, startup model um, in the tech ecosystem in Waterloo, mm -hmm. and you know, I was up certain that was it, right? And it wasn't so much about the ping pong tables. You know, I didn't need a ping pong table at work to enjoy my work. It was the fact that they were selling this scrappy, fast, agile, flat non-hierarchical way of organizing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Like we're we're gonna take ideas and we're actually gonna build those ideas and not shelve them or um, you know, uh, use safety regulations as a reason. You know, that's a big thing in the rail industry. A lot of in innovation is compressed by like, you know, the code of federal regulations from some accident that happened, you know, um, at the turn of the century. And so, you know, the innovation was really stuck. And I was like, oh, it's got to be over here. And then I'm going to have a great ex work experience because we're going to be able to express our ideas and that it's not going to be suppressed by industry and politics or, um, you know, the airline lobby shutting down, uh, uh, you know, high speed rail innovation in the US or, or these types of things. Like, there's, there's something happening here with this Silicon Valley model. But like, as it scaled and it hits, you know, sort of uh, about 60 people and it's in that scale up phase and, you know, definitely through to the 120 mark, um, as it's growing, it starts to erode all of that, brings in this managerial hierarchy. Yeah. And then we were starting to play these like really icky games. It started to feel like as, a, as I became a manager, I was having relationships with, and relationship dynamics with my peers with this power over, you know, almost like they literally used, you know, militaristic, metaphors or parent-child metaphors mm -hmm. and i'm like i'm not parenting my peers this feels awkward and weird and gross and similarly i started to watch the social games i was playing in this power structure as it emerged um and uh how it suppressed you know good ideas and just squandered the money um and resources in the system as well as like the human potential and there's tons written about that but like uh, I, I became pretty obsessed with like, like, how does that get better? And so mm -hmm. this is where my rabbit hole moment actually happens. Sorry for the ramble. Um, and as I'm starting to, you know, look into this, like first it was agile, you know, software teams and how they operate with a, you know, sort of more autonomous way of working. Um, you know, they have, have much more autonomy within the scrum to make decisions and they carve out roles. And then it was like, okay, well, this isn't scaling. Like that's not what's happening up in the boardroom as I started to participate in that, you know, uh, shenanigans. Um, and so I was like, okay, so what's, what's going on here? So looking to scale that agile theory and organization, I just become like a massive organizational um, design nerd, basically at this point, I'm less engineering, you know, um, technological things and more like, you know, trying to understand the architecture of teams so that it actually feels good. And it's rather selfish, my whole point on this. And then, you know, I start to catch limits of that. And I'm like, okay, so I need to be an entrepreneur myself, right? Because that's, that's what's going to, you know, remove this power over relationship. And then I start mm -hmm. to recognize the relationship that exists, um, you know, with venture capital. And I'm like starting to realize that the, this, this Silicon Valley media engine that sold me on the vision of what all this was that I was watching erode as it started to scale up is like, there's something distorted and wrong about that. Like, you know, we're the mark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as, the, uh, as the innovator um, yeah. we're the one in 10 in the portfolio who's all in and they're not all in on us we're mm -hmm. one in 10 we're a number to them you know uh, what is weird and then the informational asymmetries and the same relationships existed there and the same games existed there it's like oh money's the manager um and so you know that brought me full circle back um eventually 
uh, as I'm looking into things like holacracy, sociocracy, and like, how do you, how do you change all of this? And like, you know, conscious capital or purpose-driven, you know, investing and like the, still the system is not designed quite right to, to solve for this. And eventually, um, I stumbled across, across DAOs on the ethereum.org. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, site had this page around DAOs and had like pseudocode of, you know, different ways to run a governance contract and, you know, Ethereum, Bitcoin, interesting, you know, that portion of me that knew that macro markets were kind of messy and not quite right, mm -hmm. um, for, um, and squandering our human potential, um, you know, the Ethereum was like, oh, this shapes work. This changes mm -hmm. how we work mm -hmm. because it changes the entire value network not just you know a store of value and transactions it's like this this thing can make decisions about how we move together towards a mission or a purpose you know using funds and i was like that's that was mind-blowing and so that was my rabbit hole moment and it happened to coincide with um you know meeting uh uh joe lubin uh mm -hmm. at consensus via um, you know, one of Sobel's co-founders, um, the venture that I work on now, who, um, you know, Donnie introduced us to Joe and, you know, it's, it's been a game of like, what is a DAO <laughs> and um, <laughs> how is this all going to like reshape everything? And, and in particular, how we work and how we collaborate, how we coordinate. And um, so that was, that was the moment for me. It was just like this, this changes everything. You've got to be the first one. I think that's been on our show that DAO was the thing that got you in. Yeah. You know, usually it's Bitcoin or like, I don't know, NFTs is very popular as well. But DAO, I feel like this is the first one, uh, which is super cool. I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm curious what DAOs were, well, two questions. One, what DAOs were around when you first saw this? Like, was there ones that were actually like launched and like you went in and checked them out and were learning from them? And then two, what is it about DAO? And maybe this is the, what is a DAO you can go into, but like, what is it about the DAO where you were like, oh, this is it. This makes sense. This changes everything. Like, can you just walk us through sort of what that was? Yeah, totally. So no, uh, there weren't really any practical DAOs. Okay. DAOs. I mean, the DAO hack had happened recently. I mean, this was right. 2017 right. when I stumbled into the concept of DAOs. And so, um, so we had we had the promise of DAOs, we had the theory of DAOs, and we had a technology that made DAOs possible so that they could, yeah. And so when I was looking at it to, to sort of the second part of your question, and then I met Joe and what Consensus was doing was what I would classify as a proto-DAO. They, they recognized the potential of the technology and were building the infra, and they were doing a lot of what I've seen DAOs do in 2021, way back then, which is like, you know, the tooling wasn't quite there yet. It was even more so not quite there yet, 2017. And consensus, uh, as the consensus mesh, was trying to uh, figure out how they socially organize like a DAO while they wait for sort of, as they were building the tooling mm. that, that matures the space into a DAO. I mean, you know, Gnosis was a part of the portfolio. Gitcoin was a part of the portfolio. Like there's, you know, uh, lots and lots of folks who were the identity plays. Many of them came from that consensus portfolio. It, initially it was a U port, but today it's, you know, all of these plays like Ceramic and Disco and many others are, are, are influenced or were a part of directly that U-Port team. And so I think, you know, there was, there was a proto-DAO happening there. And that's why I was so excited about, um, you know, going to consensus and being able to immersively get in to something that was, you know, seeing the potential of DAOs um, and, uh, and trying to build that whilst 
doing off-chain, the behavioral mm -hmm. components as to the best of their abilities. And that's messy. That's what we've seen recently. That's messy and that doesn't quite work. So then that brings me to the second part of your question, which is like, well, so what is the potential of a DAO? Like, why was I so excited? It's because I had seen a, as part of my research and interest in like how you do scaled up agile or how you do this holacracy, sociocracy, or how you like get more conscious um, in your investing and the relationships with your investors as innovators and like, you know, get more decentralized behaviorally in how you move power and authority within an organization instead of concentrating it into these power over coercive relationships that are the managerial hierarchy. Um, and as I was researching that, I was like, that always falls down um when you get closer and closer to the to, to the to sort of the money and the flow of the money and the decisions related to that and that you know accidentally you know meaningfully or or not meaning to it starts to become kind of like the culture was declared and put on posters on the wall but we couldn't actually enact it when like the rubber hit the road in the really really existentially threatening moment and i saw it even in some organizations that did it so well socially you know, with these, you know, these practices and protocols that were behaviorally reinforced, um, like the holacracy type movement, and they they could hold on to it um, until that like really strong monetary threat emerged, and you know, like the down market or something like this. And this actually happened to consensus in the first phase of what they were doing, right? The down market of crypto winter emerges and applies enough of a threat that we have challenges allowing that distributed authority decision-making. We have a high, like a rapid, you know, re-centralization. And so mm -hmm. what I loved about um, the blockchain and particularly the Ethereum smart contracts and what I was seeing there was like, you can't break the rules even under that like existentially threatening situation. If you've codified certain aspects of your power and decision-making into these contracts, um, whether that's, you know, you did the right program or not, you know, one, uh, one token, one vote, we've had lots of discussions about how that can go wrong in the plutocracy mm -hmm. and the takeovers. It, getting it right is challenging, but the fact that it's immutable um, or, 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 or the rules have to be followed if you want to change it. Um, that I thought that was just so magical and so underappreciated, I think. And I think that's the same magic that exists in terms of the, the, the ledger, um, and, you know, the innovation that was Bitcoin. Um, uh, and, and so I think, yeah, I think that, that to me was like, okay, well, certain th threatening situation emerges and I can't all of a sudden grab control um and and erode what we declared was going to happen because it was mm. only reinforced socially like if i want to change that i have to go through the voting mechanic um i have to um you know make the change and the more and more stuff that goes on chain the i think the more reinforced and hardened that is and therefore it got back to this root of like what i saw was all about organizations it's like organizations were great when we trusted one another and when a threatening situation emerged if we couldn't sustain that trust because we were afraid that somebody was just going to grab control because they could theoretically, mm -hmm. you know, it didn't matter that they were, you know, a good person and they weren't going to do it. The fact that they theoretically could would start to change the behaviors of the people in the system. And we would, we would start to not trust one another. And it got so gross so fast. And I think that's the, the dysfunction of all organizations and, and our work and like mm -hmm. the magic of a, of a smart contract as a means of, of governing 
the things that usually start to feel the most threatening, like how is the money going to flow um, hmm. and who gets to decide stuff around here, particularly the most important thing, like me getting paid or not, um, or being able to participate or not. Um, and so the more permissionless that became and where it's permissioned, the more um, auditable and, you know, immutable the, the, the code that is that's, that's running that, that, that the more security I get may not be the ideal system, but at least I can trust that it's going to behave the way I think it's going to. It's very interesting to place the benefits of a DAO in the lens of under stress. I hadn't, I hadn't even really thought about that, that that is actually the why of DAOs is that they thrive in those moments when, as you said, under stress, particularly financial, is when organizations break down, power gets centralized, and that's when work sucks and bad decisions get made and people get fired or lose relationships or lose companies. And those are the moments when actually code can help us so much by keeping it simple and reminding us of what actually matters, which we at one point as an organization, as a DAO, probably set and we're very intentional about. It's very, it's very interesting to look at it from that lens. I just want to come back to one thing you said because you mentioned the DAO hack. And I don't think a lot of people know about the DAO hack. I think that that is actually, if you're an OG, you know about that if you were around back in 2016. Uh, but I just want to touch on that quickly because I do think it's an interesting story. Is uh, So the DAO hack was back in 2016. I believe it was MakerDAO. Am I correct that it was MakerDAO? No. To be honest, it's, 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 yeah, I don't think it was MakerDAO. It was no. the DAO. It was just the, <laughs> the DAO. DAO. Yeah, okay. it, was it, was the DAO. DAO. it was the first DAO made on Ethereum. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it was the first DAO made on Ethereum and they did a, they, they, they raised basically about just... 150 million for, to, from tokens, right? 150 million from tokens. And then they were hacked and that hack led to, I think, a lot of bad media around DAOs, which is why essentially there was like a DAO winter almost for a few years where nobody was wanting to get involved with DAOs because there was so much bad press because of this hack. And it also, didn't it also lead to the fork between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. It did, so, right? Yeah, it did. Yeah, because they made a decision to reverse history and they... They effectively right. socially governed the the chain, and so this thing that I'm saying is one of the most beautiful things about um, a blockchain um, is that uh, in this in this particular case, um, yeah, they the they came together. Um, there is always a social component. I think that's like the you know the 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 naive utopia is that like it'll all be coded um mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can't be changed but the problem is there is always a human element and a human layer and like in this particular case for better or for worse i'd argue you know hindsight 2020 for better they made the decision to reverse this out but it's also been sort of the thorn in their side in the sense that you know at the end of the day the validators um decide and so in a lot of cases, it's not that the code starts to, it's not like AI in the sense that like you code it and then it, it runs stuff. Um, there is one of the cool things about crypto, uh, you know, is yes, we encode it and therefore we can have a higher degree of trust in it, but we, we've encoded the rules and the rules included that validators can fork. And that's actually a feature, not a bug, you know, that they can form consensus 
um, or they can disagree and under disagreement, they can't be coerced. And so I think mm -hmm. the other gift of this space is can be analyzed in this DAO hack and the fork of Ethereum and Ethereum Classic is because they made a decision socially, the valid, uh, sorry, no, the, not the, um, the miners um, saying validators like it's already 2023. <laughs> September 19th, yeah. baby. September 19th. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm already, you know, post merge here. Uh, but yeah. the, the, the miners effectively get to, you know, make a decision. And those are those are effectively human governed still, but they have to play by the rules, which is, you know, uh, like the Ethereum classic crew, crew couldn't violently overtake, you know, Ethereum as a minority, you know, they had to play by the rules. And the rules were, if you're really, really disagreeing with this and you can't, we can't form consensus, then we will fork. And so they did. And so I think this is another sort of important element relative to like what I like about DAOs and also the limits of DAOs is that I don't think that DAOs stop some of the nasty, horrible things that occur that make work suck for people. You could make <laughs> a DAO that really, really sucks. Um, uh, and you can have existential, and it's not like they're, they're completely, um, all DAOs are going to be able to be resilient in the face of existential threat and not have icky social things occur. No, we've seen already that like, you know, uh, that, that happens, you know, but I think what's, what the, the fundamental difference is, is that the, we can't stop that from happening, but we can stop people from, you know, um, manipulating the system because you know i at least go into it eyes wide open i'm like you know if we fast forward to the future and you know there's a disagreement i understand as a miner on a on a chain that we theoretically could fork and that was designed as a mechanism um you know the idea of the moloch contract in DAOs as a governance contract um you know has the right to exit in the form of a rage quit it's built in and i know that and this is the magic of it is i know that you know, I can put my money in and we might form, you know, we might get icky with one another and we may disagree, but it is superior um, to being like a limited partner who's investing by a traditional venture capital. I give my money to the venture, you know, um, group and they've got a general partner who manages the funds. Once I've deployed my funds in, like I don't have the right to exit if I think that they're doing a bad job in the first few deals that they've done. Mm -hmm. The Mollet contract and the way it was used by groups like um, uh, the Lao um, as their early experimenters, they, you know, they're doing these investment things or meta cartel ventures. They, they, the folks can come in with the money and you know, get to know each other as they're doing deals. Mm -hmm. And it's the limited partners who put the money in who are making the decisions about what deals we're going to do. And if we don't like the direction it's going, we can rage quit and you know if i went into that thinking that we were all going to go on a, like a good adventure together and it was going to work out um and then a bunch of people rage quit and we disagree and we have some icky emotional feelings about that with one another that still sucks on a sort of human emotions level but what doesn't suck is somebody didn't go and pull some sort of backwards maneuver to capture my funds you know even though they said they were going to do something on paper they went and actually did something completely different we're now in like you know a protracted legal battle and i'm having to understand like emotionally i'm already a little bit burned by this experience that i'm having do i really want to embark on continuing that emotional journey on the emotional exhaust of like having to go through you know um uh, a court-based system and a legal system to try and you know deal with this situation it's like no, no no in this particular case i know that if this goes sour and we have icky moments 
I have still the right to remove my funds as per the rage quit thing. And nobody's going to be able to like, you know, play with me and say, oh yeah, yeah, your check's coming soon. No, your check, check's mm -hmm. coming. You know, actually it's not coming. We've all decided that, you know, you are, <laughs> you're a problem. And so, you know, we found, our lawyer found this little thing. Yeah, in the and we trying. decided, like, we decided. Exactly. Right? You have yeah. no option. Exactly. And so yeah. I think that, you know, I don't want to oversell the idea that is like it removes the, the icky things. It's that right. it removes the surprise icky things <laughs> and the yeah. manipulative, disgusting things that people do when there's a gray area in something and yeah. it's not just executing. Brian, you've just um, we've talked about a few different uh, DAOs here already, right? We're kind of diving deep into the weeds here. Um, we've <laughs> talked about, you know, the DAO, which was kind of an investment pool, right? Uh, where everyone just put a bunch of money and then they were going to go invest it. We talked about like the Ethereum protocol, like from a from a like a blockchain standpoint and how like the miners is kind of forming a DAO. Uh, but then there's like, we, we brought up Bankless DAO, which is neither of those. It's not an investment pool. It's not a layer blockchain. It's more of like a community that was kind of incentivized by a token. And they started building actual products. They're more of like a business. You could think of them than like an investment firm or a blockchain. Can you just step back and give us like the 101 of like, how do we understand what a DAO is for any of the listeners? And then maybe talk about the different the different types of DAOs you've seen or like the different use cases of DAOs. Like, why do we even need this? Like you've talked a lot about how you want things to be like a, a decentralized sort of hierarchy, I guess. Um, and so like, let's just talk a little bit through like what, what that provides, like what benefits we have from that as well. Uh, and then we can kind of, I don't know, we'll, we'll expand out from there. Yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one because this, you know, this this definition of a DAO can be like heavily contested, and like I don't have my boilerplate version like at my fingertips right now, so I'm gonna do my best. Gotta get it. But yeah, I mean, you gotta is, get it. I'm gonna get it wrong here, um, you know, because of the, the the question. But I think you know the acronym, right? Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and so. Um, I think uh, the decentralized component we've been discussing it. You know, I've talked about how effectively what drew me to DAOs is that decentralization because I was kind of sick of some of the silliness that was occurring by over-centralizing power into the managerial hierarchy where the manager, at the end of the day, they can benevolently, you know, this is this, that, that word empowerment that has become so distorted and disgusting is like, I bestow power on to you, but I can actually take it away at any moment, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that there aren't any rules that govern when I get to take it away. I can just mm -hmm. take it away. So that, that centralization of that power, despite the fact that they try to decentralize it benevolently every once in a while, but can take it away when they want. When you, when you have a truly decentralized system or a more decentralized system, the, 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 that power is, um, is far more um, decentralized, uh, you know, definition, distributed word, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. And so, you know, as it's, um, as it is, uh, is more decentralized, this is why they talk about, you know, the minor pools, right? Because it's a form of centralization relative to the root layer, you know, of settlement that is the chain. So, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about what, you know, how, uh, you know, how, where are the geographic concentrations and the economic mm -hmm. concentrations, like these, you know, publicly traded minor pools for things like, mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin, it's like, you know, is, is the network being captured subtly or re-centralized subtly um, in that way? And so I feel like, yeah, decentralization is really important because um, 
I believe that uh, in this D, by decentralizing, we actually can get better decisions. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that may actually not be true, but I think that's just more on the governance mechanics. When we, when we hyper-centralize, we might be able to move fast, but we aren't resilient. And I will trade hmm. you know, resiliency for moving fast. And I think that when there's the opportunity for um, more um, voice to be heard and contribute to making a decision that we are likely to make a better decision. And so the trade-offs are basically um, for you know, that speed um, and resiliency thing. And so I think, yeah, decentralized autonomous organizations have swung more towards decentralization, but that doesn't mean that centralization is bad. It's, it's strategically used at various points in time, and it's just bad when it becomes calcified. That's the managerial hierarchy is bad because it's slow moving. Like you appoint a manager, but like it's actually kind of difficult to like demote, fire, um, et cetera. And so there's mm -hmm. friction in the system reorienting or adjusting to the, to the environment. So that's where decentralization, I think, scores some points. The next one is autonomy. Um, we autonomous. And now a lot of people talk about it, this one, and this is probably one of the more contested ones in the definition of what is a DAO, is like, I believe a DAO is more about the, um, uh, this stuff we've been talking about in terms of like, um, I have the ability to operate with my own free will inside the rules. And so I have autonomy. The DAO itself has autonomy because it, it, it's pretty much designed to in many ways, and this is you know creating tons of friction in the world, it's in many ways capable of operating regardless of what a state nation says about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so now trying to understand how it merges into this regulatory environment, well, it, like, it's kind of designed to be orthogonal to it. It's supposed to be autonomous. It's capable of operating, even if somebody says it shouldn't be because it's, you know, the substrate that it's using is, uh, is, is pretty uninterruptible. And so that autonomy, I think, starts, you know, at that base layer, but it flows all the way through, you know, I have the autonomy to rage quit, you know, um, mm -hmm. I have the autonomy to choose to do this bounty or not um, within a DAO. Um, I have the autonomy to decide to quit. I have the autonomy to decide to join. Like there's a, as a subunit in a DAO, often the treasury moves from one gnosis safe to another. It's like moving the funds. Imagine if you're like team at work, you know, which is like some functional unit um, or scrum team actually had its own bank account and the funds moved and they won't move back. Once you have them, you're working. Them. That's what happens in a DAO and that, that's another form of autonomy. And so there's tons and tons of forms of autonomy and that autonomous nature of a DAO. And I think some people take this autonomous and think that it's more about the fact that the DAO runs the code and the code is law and like it, it, it it's like automated, you know, a bit more. Um, and I don't know, like, Sure, blur that in there if you wish. I think that's another superpower of DAOs and might be mixed in with that auton autonomous component. You know, it like the code runs um, and, uh, you know, so that if this vote passes, you know, uh, like a more, you know, those who are more using the A and the autonomous in this nature will say, oh, as soon as this vote passes, if it's wired up to actually deploy something, you know, um, on chain and that's uninterruptible or doesn't have human signers, you know, between the vote and the, and the, and the execution, um, that, 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 that they like to think of that as like a more enhanced, uh, you know, autonomous component of DAO. So I don't know. I see some debate there. It's basically, do you mm -hmm. have the autonomy to act within the rules or are the rules self-executing? Blur those two together and you're getting a beautiful A in the middle of the DAO. So decentralized, autonomous, <laughs> and then organization is pretty straightforward. It's like, you know, we're, we're using these mechanisms um, and this decentralization and autonomy not to do DeFi, you know, not to, you know, um, have immutable transactions. Um, we're, we're using this to create a human organization that can do anything that human organizations try to do.
Very, very good uh, explanation, by the way. I really great like definition. that. You did great. Yeah. We'll record that. <laughs> yeah, we actually are recording that. We're going to, we're going to cut it for you and give it back to you. And now you have your boilerplate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the organization side of things. You talk a lot about hierarchy. Um, and mm. if you've been in DAOs now, I mean, the whole idea is like you said, decentralize it. Don't have this hierarchy anymore where you have the managers or the leaders up top and all that kind of stuff. Yet I noticed in a lot of DAOs, we still sort of have that. Now, not necessarily because like you said, there are things where power is distributed and you can't you can't take that power back because it's written in the code, right? Whether that's via NFT or a token or whatever. So that is cool. But I do find in the, in the way that people work in DAOs, especially in larger DAOs, there's still sort of a hierarchy. So um, is that the way that it should be? Or like, how do you, how would you organize or structure a DAO in terms of like, is there hierarchy? Is there not hierarchy? What do you think is the best way to actually be able to get shit done, but keep it sort of decentralized? Like you're saying, like, what do you think is the best sort of setup here? If there is one. So, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I love this question. And um, yeah, I think I pick on traditional hierarchies. Um, in the managerial hierarchy, and I label it as such, and either a traditional or a traditional corporate, you know, managerial hierarchy. And the reason is, is because I don't think hierarchies are bad. I think that that is an inferior form of hierarchy. Um, and it's an over-centralized form of hierarchy, and it's extremely calcified. It doesn't, it's not very dynamic. It doesn't change. And so I've been picking on those things along the way, and that, that is very, you know, purposeful. I think DAOs will have many hierarchies, and I think that they will be very dynamic if the DAO is sensing and responding correctly to, you know, what they're trying to achieve and how the, you know, the, the markets external to them or the forces external to the DAO, um, wherever that boundary is, uh, that, that if they're not adjusting to that, um, then, then that's the problem. It's not that hierarchy, hierarchies are natural, um, right. but they're, it's weird and unnatural to hyper-centralize them um, and, uh, and, and try to draw a traditional org chart. We love it. Our brains love the simplicity of it, but it's like linearizing a nonlinear thing. Like, you know, it feels better when we linearize it, um, or it feels better when we fit something to a Gaussian curve, you know, um, and do a mean distribution on it. Um, but it doesn't mean it's correct. Um, and it, I believe that a traditional hierarchy, um, functions as a simplification that was good enough under some circumstances and maybe is still good enough under some circumstances. Um, uh, it was invented um, because, you know, it was required. And so I would argue that DAOs are, are rediscovering anyone who declares always oh, it's flat, you know, got stuck on a monolithic governance, you know, and they, were, and they get made fun of in, in the you know, mainstream <laughs> media or with, even within the conference circuit. You know, mm-hmm. where we joke about ridiculous proposals being voted on by all token holders, you know, like, should the color be red or blue kind of thing. And we immediately mm-hmm. look at these types of scenarios and think, oh, that seems silly, you know, and well, if you truly remain flat, that is the silliness that ensues. And so I think really functional DAOs actually start to naturally create hierarchy. So they have this simple mechanic of like everybody gets to vote on things. And the very first things they start to vote on typically is spawning their structure. <laughs> They, they start to create hierarchy mm-hmm. naturally because they start to try and do stuff. People propose to do stuff. They re- get funds, funds being distributed into an autonomously controlled, you know, wallet um, in, in the form of a Gnosis Safer, a multi-sig. You've immediately spawned structure. That unit now has autonomy and it exists mm-hmm. and it is doing something different um, on its own that is in service to this thing. Um, that we all are beholden to, but is separate and different. 
and mm -hmm. and that is you know starting to produce structure um you know and i think but what's what's neat about that is that it's dynamic another form of structure that can exist is if you have a delegation um mechanism in your governance you know they have the more liquid democracies like uh um gitcoin and their stewards or many of the recent airdrops via ens etc they mm -hmm. you have the ability to delegate the tokens to the stewards who would then participate in governance you have effectively now created a naturally forming you know hierarchy the stewards mm -hmm. get to make decisions and i move my tokens but i have the right to revoke my tokens so I still have that autonomy in the system um, and that that, you know, that that's very real. Um, so I think, yeah, but I think hierarchies naturally emerge. And and so what's more important is that the we don't get stuck with something that is incorrect relative to the mission or the purpose of the DAO. Um, and uh, so we might centralize into a grants committee. You can see DAOs do this as well. Another mechanism of centralization to, to be functional is like, oh, we want things to go faster. And we want to make some quick investment decisions. So we're going to create like a scouting or a grants committee or something like that. And we're going to elect the people into that and they will have a term. Um, so therefore it's not static, you know, they're not indefinitely, you know, sort of elected. Um, and, uh, or until we fire them and run a proposal to fire them, it's less calcified than a traditional managerial mm -hmm. hierarchy. And then they have, you know, the ability to make these decisions um, and then we'll reevaluate whether those were, you know, whether, first of all, those were the right people. And second of all, was that the right structure for us making decisions where we've arrived at now? And in many DAOs, you start to recognize, oh, okay. And so it's really about this evolution of the hierarchy and there being lots of different hierarchies and then being emergent mm -hmm. um, in nature, whether it's even down more at the micro level, because I've been concentrating more on the hierarchies and how they emerge at the like a macro level of a DAO or, um, or the root of the organization. But like even within a pod, scrum, you know, guild, whatever you want to call it, work stream project, uh, it's, it's better when there's a naturally emerging, you know, sort of hierarchy there. And that often comes in the form of role crafting. Um, and, you know, first people start doing stuff and we just coordinate, you know, which is like a peer-based remuneration or we, you know, retroactively airdrop, like that's a pattern in DAOs, but once, but stru structure does naturally start to emerge and we start to go, oh, okay, well, you know, this is actually like you're doing this role and you're doing this role. And we start to form agreements around that. And we start to harden that structure a little bit, whether it's through, you know, elections, role appointments, or, um, you know, a mechanism for you do some bounties and then you're a part of this team. And then you mm -hmm. can be, you, you earn this role of team membership. And like, I think DAOs are just starting to understand, okay, this stuff is supposed to come back in but it's supposed to come in naturally and it's supposed to be dynamic and be capable of responding um, to problems and change. Um, so I, I think hierarchies and DAOs uh, are going to be a thing. And we're just like in the early phases of figuring that out because most DAOs are like, have barely gotten past the, hey, let's pull a bunch of capital on this really cool new thing, make some decisions to distribute it. And then they like spawn structure and they're like, oh, what is this thing? <laughs> what do we do with it? <laughs> You, you mentioned a couple couple things I want to touch on, uh, bounty and compensation in a DAO, I think are big topics. Uh, but before we do, I just want a context set here. And I'm curious if you know uh, a number, how many people do you think are involved in DAOs right now? Do you have any, any number on that? Any estimate? I've, I've never seen anybody take a guess. I'm just curious. And, and then I think where I'm curious is like, where do you see that going do you see a world where we all work in DAOs? Uh, will we work in one DAO? Will we work in many DAOs? 
Uh, just curious to know, like, yeah, context, and then maybe like where where you see this whole thing going, and then we'll get back more into like the tactical side. Yeah. Okay. I, I love this. I have no clue how many people are in DAOs, and you've got me curious because I I recently saw some stats around like NFTs, and, like you know the number of wallets that you know unique wallets that hold an NFT you know stat, and I did you know world population relative to that stat, um, mm -hmm. and came back with like, whoa, it is like a fraction of a percent. So small. <laughs> and, and it was like, this This was like one of my like numbers for we're early. And I think DAOs would be just as astonishing, if not more mm -hmm. so, because I think NFTs got substantially more traction in this cycle than DAOs did. I think mm -hmm. DAOs were a product of, you know, the NFT thing. There's a strong interrelationship there of like, we start with an NFT drop and then all of a sudden we congregated socially and we were like, what do we right. do with it? And let's <laughs> down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I just looked up, hold on, I just looked up the A16Z report on state of crypto. I knew they had some numbers on DAOs. Here's, okay. uh, this doesn't give us the number you're looking for, but active voters in proposal makers all time is 600 and 57,000. Now that's wallet addresses that have voted or made a proposal. So like, who knows, you can have multiple wallets obviously inside of a, a one DAO or, or multiple DAOs. So I got three or four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, let's say a few hundred thousand max so far, if that, honestly, that's probably stretching it. So, so there you go. So the, the number is really, really, uh, really, really small. I think I think the other one, the question that I that I heard in there was like, okay, so like fast forward to the future, you know, is it all DAOs? And like, that's an interesting one. I think, I think yes, but not in the way we think so. Mm. Um, I think, I think that, uh, I think that basically we're what we're doing now is. Uh, is basically figuring out how to remix everything that we've played with previously um, in terms of like governance and value networks. And that DAO and the acronym and these games that we're playing and the new patterns we're playing with right now and how we're mashing up things we used to do um, with, with these new technologies. Like we're in the early phases of just discovering how these technologies influence our coordination, collaboration, um, uh, and work, general work, compensation, et cetera, related behaviors, decision-making behaviors, et cetera. And so like we're refactoring all of that. And I think, you know, it, it, first of all, I think the acronym dies um, at some point. Mm -hmm. I think that yes, all work starts to use these mechanisms in the same way that the internet kind of reate the world. And we don't really talk about it as the internet. You know, every once in a while we pause and say it was the internet that ate the world, you know, but really what was happening in the early phases of the internet is kind of instructive, I think, to what might be happening right now. In the early phases of the internet, we were recognizing that most of the things that were done on paper, you know, because it was mostly about information, you know, the, the, that was the, the, the technological, um, you know, uh, you know, revolution there was information based. And I think the one that's happening right now is more like value um, network based. So that was, those were the information networks. And like, what's going to happen when you totally refactor the information networks like the Telegram did way back in the last major um, change. <laughs> then the other one was the steam engine. And I think yeah. the blockchain is synonymous with steam engine. Some people like to use that kind of analogy, but like, I think if we look back at that and say, okay, well, if that's what that was the information transformation, then, you know, in the early days of the internet, 
what we did was we digitized our paper practices. And it was kind of like web 1.0 was mm-hmm. like, we did this thing on paper. And so now I'm going to have a blog or a zine, you know? Um, and so uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing on the website. I will have my storefront, you know, on my website, you know, in the late nineties, it was like, okay, how do I move all my brick and mortar into this storefront? And we overcompensate too, because there's right. some things that should maintain a storefront when we watch what like you know apple apple you know has done with their you know sort of uh their experiences and physical locations and you know their digital Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. extremely digital company still has a storefront why you know um and uh and and so i think i think that that same thing is occurring and then we fast forward you know and we start to like play with like remixing things we start messing with like how we um, how how we work with information and what we can do with this and you know and I think we and we start to move away from websites looking particularly like the B two B ones in the really early days were just like the paperwork processes of the office um, you know digitized and then we watch these things become something completely different like mm-hmm. you know what Salesforce did uh, you know to to the uh, to the sales process and and the marketing automation systems that plugged into that and it's like that is so substantially different than like you know what it meant to maintain your paper rolodex um, and your your customer relations you know um, bookkeeping that you would do and um, and so I think but it took them a long time to get there and the interfaces you know shifted and they became more about you know solving the problem and less about just like you know, digitizing the paper process. And I think DAOs are in this phase where we're like digitizing prior work behaviors, you know, Mm -hmm. using smart contracts and these governance mechanics. We're just like, we're, we're borrowing from like past patterns in like organizations, whether it's from like some of the more interesting ones that are underexplored, like holacracy, sociocracy, but like what would happen when you add smart contracts to that, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as like, you know, historical patterns of like governance and like maybe accidentally like rediscovering some of the things that maybe the, um, uh, those who were, you know, the founders of state nations in their current form um, might have come to understand over time Mm -hmm. uh, organically, like we're maybe rediscovering some of that. And then we're also playing with things like if you look at Glenn Whale um, uh, and radical markets, um, you know, they're looking at things that were hypothetical. I think DAOs are also really good at this. They're like good at starting to create experiments around things that we thought were interesting, wrote some papers about, but never actually found a test bed for because there was too much friction relative to the existing system that you couldn't try and launch that test, you know, in your local government. And but you can launch it um, inside a DAO, you know, mm-hmm. that says, hey, let's go buy a constitution. It's <laughs> <which, you know, laughs> delightfully adjacent, right? To this, yeah. this storyline. But I think honestly, if we fast forward all the way to, you know, to conclude on this question is, is that it just, it eats the way we work and it's some crazy mashup of underexplored experiments in governance and economics and work behavior, psychology, you know, sort of stuff, um, totally mashed up with, you know, some of the Lindy, you know, things that have really stuck over time because they were good innovations that we need to build upon, but digitize and we'll find that balance point um, with all the experimentation, as long as the experimentation is not limited um, uh, in these early to mid phases, then I believe that, you know, similar to the internet, you end up with like something on the other side where it's like, oh, that's just work. That's just, mm-hmm. 
That's right. just how I go to work. That's just right. how, that's just governance. That's just how we make decisions. And, you know, mm. the fact that it's over top of, you know, these protocols that we like to talk a lot about today and proof of stake versus proof of work and like, you know, um, et, et cetera, et cetera, or these primitives like, you know, wallets and multi-sigs and like, we're, we're way too low level and like, yeah, yes. see this stuff gets so abstracted. It's like, oh, this is how I go to work. You used to work like that. That's so weird. <laughs> you used to go into the office and write things on paper. Weird. <laughs> and you mean like you had to give two weeks notice and then you weren't, you weren't really sure whether, uh, oh, and they could fire you and you weren't really sure if they were going to honor their agreements um, about, you know, severing and like you know they paid you in paper why did they give you paper what what did you do with the paper (laughs) yeah wait a second so there was this guy in the middle when you were buying a house (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be hilarious to think back on the future to be honest um but question what do you think like right now as you said DAOs are very new and until we get to the point where we're like yeah it's so obvious that we're all going to work in DAOs, we won't even call them that like what are the challenges in the way right now like what are we not doing right or what are the things we need to fix now you've built a company sobel around fixing a problem in in um in the DAO space part of DAO tooling so maybe you could talk about like what that problem you solved there or attempting to solve uh, and then maybe just touch on what other problems or challenges are we facing in this space right now yeah, I think I think the one I'm pretty passionate about is like usability accessibility. Um, so we need more people experimenting. You know, we need more DAOs. Um, we need more people w- with ideas coming in um, and and thinking of a new remix or mashup. Um, and so we actually have to like decentralize that. <laughs> mm. And and so uh, because right now uh, the barriers to entry are, are pretty high and. Uh, one of the challenges with usability um, is that it is a path often to centralization um, and capture. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about Web2 um, is that they are extremely usable. Um, the experience mm-hmm. is extremely tuned. And it's because they've sort of hyper-centralized certain things to control that experience. And um, so I think the challenge that we're facing right now, particularly in DAOs and DAO tooling stacks, is that there's one heck of a hurdle to get you know get involved. Um, the hurdles that we used to talk about in terms of usability have been compounded. Like the original hurdles back in 2017 that we were talking about, like it's it's too hard to figure out how to buy your tokens, move them, you know, get a wallet, you know, what is this seed phrase thing, um, you know, and so that's now been compounded by all the protocols related to work and decision making and compensation that are existing in DAOs and, you know, just a part of normal operations of a DAO. Like we talk about this onboarding challenge and really what I think it comes back to is the the usability uh, of things. And so uh, I would like to see consolidated experiences that do not sacrifice um, on the autonomy of the DAO tooling stack. That is one mm. of the fundamental problems of like B2B tools. You know, it's centralized around, you know, Workday, Salesforce, Atlassian Suite, you know, these are, you know, NetSuite, um, mm-hmm. you know, on the CRM, uh, sorry, on the ERP side. And they just basically through MA, you know, brought everything under their marketplace. You know, and so they what they what they provided was like a one stop shop and a and a and an interface. If I go as a salesperson from one location to the next, 
I now have a ubiquitous experience and I can transition easily. And so we need to get there without doing what they did to get there. And so one, one of the things I'm really passionate about with Sobel is how do we create that beautiful experience of a consolidated sort of like map of your DAO, especially because we talk about all of these things too, like DAOs are messy in the sense that they have these very organic and emergent hierarchies that are constantly changing through the governance systems. And as these, you know, they, as the DAO scales up, it actually becomes more and more complex. So Sobel's first thing that we, you know, concentrated on was like, we need a visual map. People are visual and like discord channels as your org chart um, or, you know, <laughs> somebody who's benevolently drawing circles in Figma um, to show what the org <laughs> structure has become is not a sustainable approach to really scaling up DAOs. And so Sobel's first trick was to concentrate on creating a visual map with the least amount um, of overhead to maintain that map because it's rapidly changing. And if it becomes bankrupt, it's like, you know, those, those w wikis sites, you know, where someone was dumping great information that's useless three months from now, it's like, you know, not maintained. And so Sobel works first on that problem. But the second is like, you know, discovering the DAO tooling and wiring it up, there are amazing things uh, similar to what happened in DeFi. There was this composability of like, I can use all these different things in these Legos in interesting ways. And really helpful solutions emerged in the DeFi space, like uh, Zapper, Zerion, um, where they have a consolidated dashboard um, that is a view into your total portfolio by just like connecting your wallet or multiple wallets into a bundle. And I can see everything that's going on in my portfolio and it's my first landing spot. And Zapper also has the ability to discover things like bridging, um, swapping in their interface, but they're actually, you know, using the composability of, you know, sort of the underlying protocols like one inch Uniswap, Hop protocol, et cetera. And so mm -hmm. I think something similar has to happen in the DAO space because now it's like quite usable. It's like, that is a, mm -hmm. that is a, 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 I don't have a million tabs open trying to understand what's going on um, or a crummy interface in the primitive thing that is my wallet, which is primitive for the reasons of security. Like my MetaMask and my Gnosis safe multi-sig should look a little bit like I'm pseudo reading code because it's a it's a it's a secure it, it's it's an environment where like what what i'm seeing here is what's going to execute it hasn't been abstracted and i don't have to trust them but layers of abstraction are super helpful in terms of accessibility and so sobel is also working on this idea of like how do you how do you discover these things and wire them up um, and an example would be like hey you want to spawn a team what if you were able to create a proposal route it to the correct governance mechanic because there might be multiple in place request funding um, if the proposal is successful, the funding comes in and instantiates a Gnosis safe um, for that sub team. And so now they have their own Gnosis safe and the, who the signers are gonna be was a part of the proposal. Um, you know, maybe that, that they were gonna have a red share agreement on that, that was the agreement they were forming with the DAO as they built up this new project was like, hey, whatever we're able to earn, you know, in the future on this, we'll come to this contract address and be split by the zero X splits protocol automatically back to the DAO and some of the mm -hmm. early wallet addresses that were participating as per the agreement. And like, you, you start to need some sort of consolidated front end interface, I think for DAO tooling stacks, you know, oh, and there's gonna be these roles and these roles are going to receive these NFT hats that denote that these roles exist exist and that they're mm -hmm. holders so they're going to use hats protocol to do a somewhat soul bound token for that um or maybe it's a did and a verifiable claim like you can start mm -hmm. to see that dow tooling is sort of a, maturing a lot of primitives and technologies mm -hmm. but there isn't like an interface there like there is you know right. for DeFi, and so sobel would really like to be that visual map hmm. of what's going on and a place where you can more easily discover and quickly wire up 
um, the changes that you'd like to make to it, leveraging all the awesomeness of these protocols. And for a new DAO participant, this is a place to discover what's going on and start mm -hmm. to participate it in, at first in abstract, fairly usable way. And then as you go deeper into sort of specialist roles within the DAO, you might actually want to spend more time inside your parcel HQ or utopia interface if you're a part of the finance guild. But if you're you know, uh, just uh, someone who uh, wants to request um, being able to participate in this role and therefore receive the recurring compensation that's coming from, say, uh, Utopia. Um, they really just want to be in an interface where they see the role, see what the role would be comped if they think apply. Um, and then if they're given the role, uh, they know that the compensation is going to run and they never really had to open another tab and learn a new tool or put a request mm -hmm. in, you know, to a Gnosis safe for, for a transaction or which you can't do if you're not a signer. And like, you know, there's just, there's just so much there. Um, and that burden also exists for the people who are in those deeper positions, the specialist positions, they're running around. They're the automation layer in DAOs a lot, uh, in a lot of the case right now. And so Sobel sees that, it sees these, these folks who are like exporting the CSV um, from the, you know, uh, from the coordinate results um, and then uh, tuning up things and then putting them through uh, the Gnosis a CSV airdrop transaction so that it can do a multi-send. Um, and then they're all like pinging each other on Discord, like it's time to sign or if they're trying to do a swap as, you know, treasury managers or it, there's very early days in that regard. And there's these like, you know, these hero roles of like uh, DAO, deep DAO operators um, who are doing the legwork of gluing this stuff together. And I think that um, Sobel's vision is that, you know, we can see what's going on and we can automate more of this and we can do it in a way where we don't take away the sovereignty of the DAO tooling stack and re replicate the mistakes of the DAO in a box. They're like, woohoo, mm -hmm. great experience. Totally destroyed the, mm -hmm. the beautiful decentralized <laughs> right. autonomous, vibrant stack of, you know, DAO tooling Legos that we should see if we do this right. So is it is it meant to be just to kind of summarize? I guess it's meant to be the homepage of the DAO. Essentially, it's like mm -hmm. you come into the DAO and you go into this page, and now you can see what proposals are there, what you know voting that you need to do, and what's going on with the treasury, and who's in what guild. And it's like everything you need in this DAO right now. We we you have some really cool tools that we're using for all the different DAOs. We actually have this problem right now. We just uh, are launching in the process of launching Web Three Academy DAO with with our community. And we have all of these tools and it's like to find these tools, it's like going to Notion, go to that Discord channel that says like, you know, important links. And it's just like, it's crazy. And so Sobel yeah. trying to be like that, that homepage, I guess. But then another layer, it's also trying to automate a lot of the things and connect them all together so that it's not just, hey, here's where you find the things. It's actually doing a lot of things for you as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Because in order to be that map of what's going on, um, you have to be aware of the change. And so mm -hmm. some of that you can just like read um, from connecting, you know, um, to SDKs or the blockchain itself and reading the data in and, and monitor the change. But um, yeah, I think it's also best if we provide that service of making it easier to wire this up so that you don't have to be like, uh, you know, a hardcore dev um, to, to do it. Uh, and and uh, and in the, as a part of that, the benefit is is that that also keeps the map up to date. Because if you're proposing right. a new unit um, uh, and and instantiating mm -hmm. its its gnosis and you know um, any of the other stuff like the compensation model for that new unit as it's spinning up and being funded, um, 
yeah, if we can make that easier, but also capture the change as it's happening, we're reducing the overhead of maintaining these maps. These maps, we understand the value of them. And some people go out there, you know, and are like the, the Wikipedia, um, you know, uh, one percenters who are maintaining that thing. Mm -hmm. And the same thing's happening in DAOs in terms of knowledge. Um, but I think, you know, at Sobel, we want to make that easier for them and get in line to the change and get things more automated. So that you finally get this, yeah, like, homepage for DAO ops or your DAO operational hub. Love it. I have two questions for you. First, actually, before I even ask these questions, I love the comparison to Zapper. That's the, or Zapper, whatever it is. That's the, mm -hmm. that's the best way that was, oh, that clicked for me. Cause like that is your DeFi or your, like your, your money kind of homepage. We can see it all. And I didn't realize you're like, yeah, we do need that for a DAO. Of course, there's so many tools and we need something that kind of aggregates it all and sorts it all. So question for you for, new DAOs or new people who want to enter DAOs, a lot of our audience is this, right? They want to be a part of a DAO. They're trying to learn Web3. So I have two questions. One, um, what's your advice to someone who wants to enter a DAO, right? Is looking to enter a DAO. Like what advice should they have as they're getting started? What should they be thinking about? What should they be doing? If you have any advice specific to someone who's joining a new DAO, it's a very, especially if it's a bigger DAO, it can be very, um, overwhelming. So uh, for some people, that's very difficult. So anyway, just looking for some advice there. And then two, you mentioned so many tools as you were explaining here, what Sobel does, maybe give us your like top whatever, but like, if you're a DAO, what are the must have tools that you found anyway, that can like really help you, you know, organize or get shit done inside of a DAO? Like what are the big ones that you you've seen or that you use? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, for getting started, um, yeah, these are great questions. Um, and uh, for getting started, I would say uh, there's kind of like two phases to getting started. And people talk about the first phase a lot, like with the friction of coming in and it being like really chaotic and you're like struggling to discover like how to contribute and you're kind of feeling disoriented if you're not somebody who's a gamer or who hasn't participated in a social platform like Discord, um, you know, trying to navigate Discord. Um, or some random out of date, you know, notion page that, you know, described how to join the DAO. And that's not actually how you join the DAO now when you find <laughs> out when you jump into the discord. So yeah. like persevering through that and bravely crashing meetings, um, you know, is, is really important. So just recognize that that will be uncomfortable, prepare for it up front, and therefore pick a DAO that the passion that you have for what mission they're on will, will be strong enough to pull you past that hurdle um, because just it's not gonna it's not great and some are better than others and they have techniques to do this um but yeah and then also double check so one the mission right it'd be strong enough to pull you past that um and prepare for it and then two um is double check that like you know it's that passion likely will align to a skill that you have in some way you know and the more generalized the DAO, the better because you have a better shot at trying to find it this is why bankless um, or most so social media oriented DAOs like Bankless, um, education oriented, you know, never ending hackathon, like these very, very broad um, missioned DAOs like Bankless uh, are great starting points for a lot of folks because you're sure to find something um, somewhere in there that matches your skills and passions. Um, and so that's often also pick one that uh, either do your research that you can passion enough that you're going to find something um, and overcome that hurdle, or you pick one where you're like, probability is you'll find something like a real right. broad doubt like Bankless. Second part, though, is like, watch out for the addiction on the other side. 
Um, there's nobody, you know, creating balance for you. And so once you get over that hurdle, you had to work for it so much. You had a bit of FOMO leading into it that once you, once you pick up on the other side, you, you will start to feel like all in. And uh, so DAOs are, you know, folks who are participating in DAOs start to talk about the, the, the imbalance, um, the work-life balance, the mental health, these things are real. Um, they exist in any form of work, but I think, you know, the frenetic fast moving nature of DAOs and the fact that they're always on, um, there's no managers to tell you to slow down and you're actually just having to manage your own emotions relative to your work um, and find your own pace. Um, uh, just check in on that as you're going, because I think the common story is I, I, I had to work so hard for this to get in and I'm so blinking excited about what I'm doing and so enthusiastic in a way that I haven't been before when that, when that success hits that you, you can be drawn too deeply in. So watch for that. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I think in terms of tools, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of the simple start. Like I do, I do, I've met rattle off some of the more advanced ones and some of the emerging ones like hats protocol and, uh, you know, uh, there's, you know, disco and et cetera, but the, I think the really basic stack um, that can progress quite nicely is the, you know, sort of snapshot gnosis safe combo. Um, and the mo rest is kind of mostly social drop an NFT, you know, when you're just getting started. And then I think uh, as, uh, as it starts to layer up, there's beautiful ways to graduate that. You can start to add in, well, first of all, more gnosis safe. So the thing can kind of spiral outwards as you structure up. Um, you can start to automate things more using the Zodiac, um, the Gnosis Guild Zodiac. That is an underappreciated uh, um, tool that I wish was easier to just, you know, discover and get, get using because it can start to um, make it such that the snapshot votes are automatically executing and you don't have to have the signers in the loop uh, to, because one of the challenges you'll start to run into is, is, you know, getting the signers together to, you know, have timely transactions occur. Um, and so that starts to put more automation into the DAO stack. Um, I think that starting, you know, initially with something like coordinate, because a lot of what you're doing is very uncertain in the early days. And so having a retro, a period of time where you retroactively in small teams, coordinate and really large crews, is fairly gameable, doesn't work, starts to become more of a popularity contest, but these peer-based remuneration of giving each other tokens and then that settling up a prorated like, you know, payroll that you're going to run. I think that's a great way to get started when you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. Um, bounties are another, you know, great onboarding trick. So using tools like Dwork or um, uh, Clarity uh, for, for these types of things. Uh, to just get some clear work and work structure up and going as a DAO. When you're starting, these, these are sort of like, this is would be sort of my starter stack. And then um, it starts to get more advanced from there. Um, you know, maybe checking out DAO House and the Moloch contract. There's some unique gifts to the Moloch contract, um, you know, out of the gate um, in comparison to the very open free form, um, you know, snapshot gnosis combo. And then, yeah, there's lots of great stuff after that, like payroll, um, and, and enhancing automation there. I think, you know, what Parcel and Utopia are doing and other ones that I mentioned, they're effectively the nice sort of like finance payroll automation tools that sit over top of your Gnosis safe. So again, you can graduate, like we were Gnosis safe and we were signers and we were doing CSV imports to run distributions. Well, now we can start to have a tool that feels a little more like um, defining wallets and putting recurring payments on those wallets or recurring payments from the main root treasury down into the um, to the various guilds, which are kind of like their seasonal 
um, or, you know, the seasonally agreed to monthly amounts that they're going to receive mm -hmm. and you can start to trickle in versus lump summing. And, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff that you can start to layer in and there's just more and more arriving. I mean, like what uh, Orca protocol is doing um, with their pods, you know, is, is a neat, um, you know, method of extending that sort of gnosis, uh, the gnosis, you know, safe multi-sig, um, Sorry, I keep saying no to safe, but they're technically safe now. I think really they rebranded. They rebranded and kind of spun out a bit. So, but yeah. Anyways, that's that's my 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 uh, my advice is start simple and kind of layer up. And you know, if you pick the right ones off the hop, they they are composable and they layer up versus like the right. the down in a box solutions. I personally would steer mm -hmm. away from them because of the you know potential lack of flexibility and lock in down the road. Right. Makes sense. Thank you for that. That's super, super helpful. You just were talking about payroll. And one of the things I'm noticing in DAOs, especially in the bigger DAOs, and there are DAOs like that have been around for a while that have sort of figured this out. But <clears throat> I want to talk about how DAOs make this a profitable endeavor for everyone that's involved. One of the things I notice in DAOs right now is, like you said, people are working like crazy. And often people are doing it like for free to just to try to get in or are doing it where they're being paid less than they probably should be. Now, there are some people making a ton in DAOs. There's no doubt about that. Um, but especially in a DAO where you have a thousand people or whatever, uh, and they don't necessarily have a ton of revenues yet, like how do you see this whole, whole like compensation and payroll? And like, how does this all work where it's actually like, because if these DAOs don't become profitable in the in, in the future and the people working in the DAOs aren't making better money than they are in Web2, then people are leaving and they're going to go back out. I think the reason people work so heavily in DAOs right now and don't care is because it's cool and we're experiencing, experimenting, trying something new. It's exciting, right? So we don't really care, but that's not going to last for forever. Um, do you find it's going to be more of these like, you know, the autonomous way where you like you have an idea, you write a proposal uh, where you ask for funding and then they fund you and that's how you get paid. And it's like contract work. Do you think it's like more salaries or combination? Like, how do you think we make this all kind of work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely early days. And like, like you said, it's, it's in the enthusiast segment and the enthusiast segment is like sort of more like a never ending hackathon or a bootstrap startup <laughs> or uh, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. which, which means that in many cases, the Dow game for many, um, you know, um, not all, um, uh, but many, it kind of sits more in the hobby category um, in terms of like where the rewards are at and how sustainable mm. or predictable or secure they are relative to, um, you know, the, the alternatives that they're evaluating against. Now, I believe that there are some people who, um, you know, uh, live in different uh, state nations or, or geographic areas where, um, you know, DAOs are actually producing an opportunity um, to earn a living um, that is superior to their alternatives um, and in a more hardened currency than their local currency. And so I love those stories. I think that shows, um, you know, some serious potential and a redistribution of wealth, you know, potentially if this continues to be a thing that, you know, is, is quite positive um, in many ways. Um, but I think in order for this to progress, yes, more more DAOs and more funding for DAOs needs to kind of flow in or more successful DAOs need to fund more DAOs. Like you watch some of the larger um, DAOs starting to become, um, you know, uh, granting and funding um, and, and have a venture, you know, guild and like stuff like that. And I think that's excellent, right? Like as, as we find 
um, you know, uh, profitability, if you will, in, in many attributes of the system, the system needs to continue to propagate itself. Um, and so I think as that, you know, sort of solves itself naturally, we'll move past the enthusiast segments. And, um, and so I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of like, how that will sort of uh, sort of play out is is that you know in the initial phases mostly enthusiasts um, as some become successful um, and resilient they'll spawn new ones um, for things that they can't do themselves um, and they will start to produce things that look a little bit more to the second part of your question like like a mashup of all the ways of work you know I think bouncies are a little bit like you know the upwork type system for bite-sized things there's already the concepts of like DAO salaries emerging with this you know recurring payments you know for for roles that feel more like contract work or renewal of guilds on a you know you know uh seasonal or you know every three month basis within DAOs, and that's starting to kind of create something that looks a lot more like um you know uh traditional sort of contractor knowledge worker um scenarios and so uh, I, I think you know all these things will will occur, and as governance mechanics mature, you might even start to see things that look a little bit more like um, hiring um, and um, and and firing models, um, you know. But I, and then there's probably some things that we can't even predict that will emerge in terms of working styles and compensation styles, and so like it'll be interesting how that plays out um, as we put more capital in and the experiments related to compensation. Um, or working styles, um, you know, find the right set point because if you bounty everything, um, your DAO kind of struggles and, uh, you, can, you know, because you can't upwork building every business kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it's the same idea. Um, you know, we're relearning some of these things as we go inside here. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll play with um, what, you know, employment contract, um, uh, you know, and, and bite-sized work looks like in a, self-sovereign environment of DAOs. Right. We'll see. You, you're involved in so many DAOs. I think that's, a, you know, there's, to me, there's two common questions I get from people when they're thinking about getting work at Web3. One is the compensation. How do I make money? So thank you for addressing that. That is definitely something that is still being figured out. And the other is, do I just work in one? Do I work in many? You talked about balance before mental health, mm -hmm. balancing this is tough. There is definitely no structure of when your day ends, when your day starts. And likely there's people in your DAO that are on the exact opposite time zone as you. So you wake up to, you know, hundreds of messages in a discord that you have to file through in order to get caught up and understand what, where the conversation is at and participate. I'm just curious, do you, what would be your recommendation? I mean, I guess, for you, how do you balance working in so many DAOs? Actually, let's let me ask that. Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm not very good at it, and it was actually <laughs> a fun struggle for me. Um, I'm kind of a recovering workaholic, um, uh, and so my my first foray into workaholism and the, and the, the you know sort of the thing negative attributes of it came from plugging into that Silicon Valley model and feeling the first rush mm -hmm. of like, we're going to innovate together and we're going to do great things. And it's culturally acceptable to like work till midnight. In fact, we're going to kind of make it feel like, you know, we all should be. And like, there was just like, there's a lot of imbalance in that system. And I was sucker to it um, uh, and, and, and paid the, paid the price, but it also developed some bad habits. And so I am a recovering workaholic and Dow's reignited some of my workaholism. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so 
uh, and, and some of the things that go, to, you know, with it, like, you know, creating a sense of worth for myself around, you know, my job and how my peers perceive me and that you start adding tokens in the mix. It's like, you know, it, 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 you start to get a little bit of, well, you know, did I do good in the coordinate? And like, you know, you can be honest, the stuff like yeah. it messes with right. your brain a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, um, the more social attributes of it as well, like, you know, I, I, I really care about, um, you know, sort of the work experience I'm having with others, not letting them down. And like, as I started to pick up accountabilities within multiple DAOs, because of my curiosity and my, my exploration took me to multiple DAOs, right? Say yes to people like, Hey, come over here. We're going to start something. And we'd love to have your thoughts on X. And you're like, Oh, you want me? You like <laughs> me? Like, you know, okay. And so uh, I think I actually took it to a state of complete imbalance um, by the end of 2021. Um, and I started to recognize that the strategy that evolved for me was this concept of like tours of duty. And I started to recognize that there are certain types of things that I really enjoy doing. Um, and they were no surprise to me because I've been observing these things of, you know, across my entire sort of working career. And that DAOs at certain stages or certain phases um, or moments in time invite me to participate in those types of things. And so I, I'm starting to recognize this idea of like a tour of duty. And it also helps me deal with like the Discord, you know, camps, because as I was select, you know, the Discord left bar nav for me, it's just crazy. Um, and so I started to kind of like get better at um, agreeing um where i was at a given moment and trying to meet those agreements and then sort of subtly moving out when i'm moving in somewhere else mm -hmm. and so like i might have participated in a lot of DAOs across 2021 but i wasn't um hyper focused on all of them all at the same time i had a tendency to kind of like you know do something um feel that wind down um, for one reason or another, because DAOs are fast moving and evolving. It's like, you know, I'm not renewing this season for that role. Could somebody else take it? You know, mm -hmm. um, here's why, um, you know, or uh, the structure shifts in the DAO. And in the case of City DAO, for example, when they moved um, from the sort of core team that was doing sort of the early stuff that I was involved in, um, there as, as one of the founding citizen holders, uh, we, we, the further decentralization of the DAO, the natural progression was towards this council phase. Um, and the council was basically going to create sort of the, uh, the constitution or charter, um, you know, of how, how they were going to operate and spawn this guild structure. You know, I chose not to participate in the council um, because I saw a lot of great people arrive who would have had new ideas and it was time for me to, to sort of back away and, and, you know, uh, I put a little bit less energy in there and create more space for myself, um, outside of DAOs. And so, yeah, I think like just watching for those moments in time where you have to choose to renew or not renew your commitment and respecting that, that that's natural and that's how you need to operate in DAOs. And that, you know, for me, often the hardest part about associated with that is either my own ego of like, they need me, which is totally untrue. Um, and, or the other, um, cause I just want that to be true when I'm in that space of ego. Um, and then the other uh, thing that I have to watch out for um, is the sense of like, uh, I'm committed to them. And I try to make those things more explicit, working more as, more, as much as I possibly can on explicit commitments. Um, you know, it's very helpful for my own mental health. It's like, I'm explicitly agreeing to do this job or this role. I am not able to do this one 
um, thank you for the invitation. And I feel that that's a thing that we will learn um, as we uh, embark on this more self-sovereign way of working. We're going to have to grapple with our egos more. We're going to have to grapple with um, uh, finding you know more ex ways to express commitment in more explicit ways so that we can get past the guilt and the shame that comes mm -hmm. from like you know implicit commitment of like, well, now I'm letting someone down and it's, a, it's a eroding my reputation or like the imagination spins incredible yarns. And if you make it explicit, it's not as scary um, and my, my monkey brain isn't going crazy on. It. So that's mm -hmm. how I try to deal with it. But like, I'm far from being involved easy. enough uh, to and aware enough to, to pull it off. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think um, this may be our, 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 one of our last questions here, but uh, um, I love, first of all, this term self-sovereign way of working, like working at, in, in self-sovereignty. I think that's super cool. I, I don't think I've heard that before, um, but I think that's really interesting. And I wonder as you talk about the way to manage, you know, working in a DAO or multiple DAOs, do you think that the future is us all contributing and working in a bunch of different DAOs or even like a bunch of different communities or like a bunch of different, you know, communities that have certain missions? You're just kind of, well, I, I like to, you know, I want things to go green. So I want to work there and I want, you know, uh, equality. So I'm going to work in that DAO and kind of contribute to that. And it's like, we just find our hobbies or the things we're interested in and we, we just contribute. Um, it kind of makes sense with this whole self-sovereignty to the way you work, right? You're not stuck in one spot or owned by a specific company. I feel like we're already starting to see that even in Web2, now that a lot of people are remote, there's a lot of people that are a part of multiple companies, whether that's consulting or freelancing or whatever. I mean, I'm a part of a bunch of different things. That's just like my nature though as an entrepreneur. So maybe I'm more biased, but like, do you think that DAOs then make this even easier? And so we are going to be a part of a bunch of different things because it's so easy to just like sell your tokens and move on to the next one or, you know, be a part of a bunch. Or do you think that we end up like really centralizing or focusing in on one thing like we do sort of now in Web2? Yeah, I love this. Um, and I think the, the whole point of self-sovereign work is a discovery of what meaningful work looks like for you or what, you know, joy-filled, passion-filled work looks like for you. And so I think each, in a, in a, if the system is healthy and functional, then I, and I'm truly in that self-sovereign, you know, future, uh, then that I have the ability to choose. And because of the, I think, one of my theories is because of the, the global abundance of work that happens when we go to this remote, digital, um, somewhat unbounded by state nation, um, styles of working that DAOs are kind of unlocking that in essence we we get less scarcity around the opportunities to do work relative to our personal passions and skills and so we have and I think that you know because DAOs will have so many different styles um, and be on so many different missions like we said you know this is the green you know DAO um, but it's not just the green DAO this is the the, uh, the you know this is the Australian reef um you know oceans initiative now <laughs> and so i think that's the the neat thing about it is is that if i'm super focused and want to be 100 percent um that i will have optionality and choice potentially in that in that global abundance of work and so i think some people might choose to do the 20-year career in a single dao if it truly was the right home for them and never evolved past being the right home for them but if it did evolve and change that they would have the ability and the right to quickly move to a different one um, that that matches what what is right for them, I think that is the essence of a, a really healthy global self sovereign work environment. And 
Um, maybe I'm a bounty chaser and a mercenary. Maybe I'm a, um, a multi-DAO, you know, maybe I'm a, you know, a butterfly <laughs> like me who's just like, ooh, that's cool. <laughs> ooh, that's cool. <laughs> just, you know, uh, architecting uh, tours of duty uh, in, my, in my personal sweet spot of joy. So we'll see. It's a great, it's a great answer. There was a, some great quotes in there that definitely we will pull out. Uh, okay, I just I want to wrap up the uh, regular interview questions and move into a bit of a speed round, just some fun questions uh, to wrap up. And then I have one more question about uh, uh, Sobel and where people can find you online and how they can connect with you. Uh, Kai, you good? You uh, any more questions in your end? Okay, cool. Um, Okay, usually, usually in the speed round, my first question is, what's an NFT you'll never sell? But given that we've been talking so much about DAOs, uh, what are tokens that you'll never sell? Yeah, um, I would never have my bank, uh, bank token, uh, bankless DAO token balance at zero. It's just, I don't understand how that could go to zero. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. Right? I love that. I think nice. I'd have to keep some, even if they were uh, zero cents uh, for nostalgia, but like, I just, I really appreciated that community. Cool. Uh, favorite person to follow on Twitter. Uh, I don't have just one. I can't, I can't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> for who's, who's somebody that pops into your head? Give me a few. Uh, yeah, I've been enjoying, uh, some of the thoughts from, uh, Spencer, um, from, uh, Dow house, uh, uh, has protocol recently. Cool. Um, Raf, Raf the builders an enjoyable one to follow as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Any project that you're following closely right now that you're excited about in the future could be NFT project, could be Dow project, could be anything in web three. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think I mentioned uh, uh, Disco and Hats Protocol and like mm -hmm. Orange Protocol and like Spruce ID, uh, Ceramic, anyone who's doing something in the identity space. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And for listeners, if you haven't already heard, we had a podcast with Evan McMullen, the founder of Disco, uh, a few weeks back. So go back and listen to that if you want to learn more about digital identity. It's real fascinating Jeez. stuff there. Uh Something you've purchased recently for under $100 that brings you joy does not have to be Web3 or crypto related. Yeah, $0 uh, going for a morning walk for an hour. It, it's crazy. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I'm the same. Even if my walk is like literally walk, if, if I have five minutes, I walk out the door and then I come back like just to get outside. <laughs> It makes such a difference. Uh, okay. If you had a billboard with one message that 1 billion people in the world would see, what would you write on that billboard? You don't have to work like this. Very good. Damn, that good. that's a good one. <laughs> that is a very good one. Well done. Uh, we don't have okay. a billion listeners, but however many we do have, they, <laughs> they, they took that and they heard it. Put it right on a commuter, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, highway. yeah, yeah right, right, right on a bench, <laughs> right on the bus stop. Uh, Brian, this has been amazing. Uh, want to tell people where they can find you. Also, talk quickly about Team Sobel um, as your home base and uh, you know the awareness you're raising there. So. 
quickly team Sobel where people can find that. And then also where people can find you and connect with you personally. And we'll put all links in the show notes. Yeah. Um, perfect. So we're at team Sobel on Twitter. Um, that'll give you the official link to our discord server for the Sobel community. So if you're interested in the topics of decentralized work and operations in a DAO um, and mapping DAOs, uh, and then I'm at Brian Peets, um, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, for now my, my DMs are open and I actually really enjoy connecting with people, um, uh, both in discord and on Twitter. Amazing. Brian, this has been just fantastic. I feel like we could have, we could have gone for hours. There's so many things to unpack and we might have to have you back on for a, a part two at some point in the future. Likewise, it was a lot of fun um, just talking through these topics and uh, love the questions. Fantastic. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Have a wonderful day. Get outside and go for a walk. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. By the way, if you have yet to join the Discord community, you are missing out. This is where all the magic happens. This is where we learn, where we ask questions, where we network. Uh, you want to be in there. The link to join is in the description below. And finally, a quick disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.